Welcome to episode number 10 of Making It, a podcast about making things with your bare hands, hosted by the Jimmy Diaresta, Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff, and myself, David Petruto, the Drunken Woodworker. And before we kick this off, if you listen to the show through iTunes, we'd like to ask you to please rate and review us as you see fit, as this helps the show tremendously. With that being said, let's get started by talking about what we're working on. Jimmy. Hey, what's going on? I'm uh, working on my new video. I built a little... Uh... Temple from the Acropolis for Spike. That video comes out tomorrow, or tomorrow being Thursday. You'll be seeing it by now. And I have an interesting thing developing in the last couple of days. A close friend of mine from the toy business. I haven't seen him in many, many years. Um, and we got reacquainted the other day. Uh, he just started a company called Toy Backer. And he's looking for some support and some PR. And so he suggested, and he's being very aggressive about it, and I'm warming up to the idea, he wants to start a campaign to fund an action figure of me. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I told you guys I was going to tell you something funny. Nice. So uh, so we'll see where it goes. I mean, I'm going to get feedback now that I said it publicly, but it's going to be a campaign. We're going to raise money, and he's very experienced. He's actually been closely involved in a lot of the action figures that Marvel and Toy Biz made over the years, and he worked for Lego, and so he fully understands manufacturing. And uh, so now his new company, Toy Backer, dot com it's like a it's like a gofundme type of site but for the toy business and he wants some pr and he saw what i was up to and so he said let's work on a thing together and he came up with the idea to do an action figure so let's let's talk about what your action figure would have obviously it's it's going to have some sort of multi-tool on the waist right yeah, yeah. an ice pick an ice pick multi-tool yeah, ice pick uh, uh, yeah, we talked about all this. <laughs> okay, well, you know, when you had G.I. Joe's, there were like the, the lame ones that came with like a rifle and a stand. And then there were the really cool yeah. ones that had like a knife and an Uzi and a rifle <laughs> and a sniper gun. And, you know, all this. so Jimmy's is going to be like a box of accessories yeah. and then a box with a figure in it. And a big fat belt. <laughs> <laughs> and leather pants. So well, I'll be, you know, if this kicks off and it seems like it probably will, it's just a matter of when and how. Um the decision whether we're going to go with a vinyl action figure or or like a, a resin cast, which is kind of more of a collectible and a little bit more of a higher end. So uh, a, a vinyl figure kind of more along the lines of like, you know, the trend in the last few years. Not necessarily an injection molded action figure like the small little G.I. Joes. So um, he, uh, he's got all the experience with this. So I'll, I defer to him and his expertise with all this stuff. So I would have gone with aluminum. I mean, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a good idea. Bob, let me ask you. Okay. I, I already know my answer to this. When you get your Jimmy Diresta action figure, uh-huh. do you leave it in the package or do you open it? I leave it in the package. I open mine. Yeah. I'm opening yeah. mine. I'm playing with it. Yeah. It's going in the bathtub with I'll, me. I'll, I'll probably buy two. Just so I can. So, so there, you sold at least three of them right there. All right. You guys will get, you guys will get three ones. Nice. So, I mean, the fund, we're trying to talk about like a legitimate reason. I'm going to raise money, obviously, to make some money, but also to, uh, I'm going to figure out a, a good cause to donate some of the money to. You know, a good thing to back. You know, because I like to give back a little bit. But um, my own personal cause would be to continue to try and raise money to build my my super makerspace upstate. So nice, mm, nice. That's so great. that's what's going on. So I'll, I'll I'll keep everybody abreast of the action as that happens. No pun intended. Action figure. Awesome. Very cool, Bob. What do you got going on? Well, speaking of action figures, this is really really weird. Um, so <laughs> I've been working on a video this week about mold making, 
And uh, I decided perfect. to use one of my old Tron figures to make the mold with. So it's like, <laughs> it's a silicon mold of a Tron action figure. Oh, nice. Oh, awesome. Yes. So it was kind of my what? first time messing with uh, any kind of mold making. Uh, so I you know, made a video about it. And it's actually a, kind of a small project for, uh, you know, compared to a lot of the ones I've done. But it was something pretty new as far as a technique. And I learned a lot from doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to learn when you make a silicone mold. Yeah, I can imagine, like, just a little bit of research, I can imagine that you could spend a whole lot of time learning each one of the different materials because there's so many different types and different, you know, different types of rubber and different types of, you know, stuff that you could cast and, you know, it could go on and on. So, Did you use Smooth-On? Yeah, I used the uh, Umu 30, I think is what it's called. Yeah, they have a great great YouTube channel, by the way, and they cover all their products. Oh, cool. Just so I, I always send my students there, and you know, people that write me emails, I say go to the Smooth On channel. They they cover all their products fairly well. I mean, the video production isn't super high quality, but the information's there, and that's what matters. Right on, cool. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing. David, what about you? Awesome. A uh, couple things. You know, last week I just put out a video on making uh, a picture frame jig. It's a miter jig that goes in your table saw, and that so, was awesome. Thank you. And so the second video it's a whole i'm doing a whole series on picture frame making so the second video is making a jig on uh it's a spline jig so you can reinforce the the miter joints with a spline this jig will also work for boxes and whatever too um but i've been really concentrating on getting this book that i'm working on done so lots of bandsaw boxes if you don't know i've got a bandsaw box book coming out later this year late summer uh and i need to I need to get these these final chapters done so I can I can move on with my life. But <laughs> it, it's fun. It's just it's uh um it's it's just a lot of bandsaw boxes to work on at one time. Like I want to I want to I want to get it done so I can I can do these these other things that I want to do. But def, definitely fun. Cool. All right. So this week we tweeted and we asked on the Facebook page if you guys had any questions for any one of the three of us, and we got lots of questions came in through Twitter through our personal Twitters and. Also through the Facebook page, and uh, Bob's got a list of questions, and we're going to go through and try and answer as many as we can. Yeah, we got um, quite a few, and I, I asked for quick questions because I wanted to fit you know as many as we could, and so we'll kind of try to do you know quick answers, but you know how we are, we'll probably talk for a while. About it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's see if I can find a good one. Um, it, this this one I thought was pretty funny. Um, and I don't know how to pronounce the name, so I apologize. But did you guys meet in person before you started to record the podcast? Which oh, yeah. I, th- I thought was really funny because we've actually never... Well, David and I have met in person. Yeah. Um, but neither one of us have ever met Jimmy in person. I have That's no it. idea how tall or short Jimmy is. <laughs> well, to be honest, I used to be six foot and I've gotten smaller. And I'm not even kidding. I think I've gotten smaller because I carry so many things that I have. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the action figure is going to have to change over time. That's, that's yeah, thing. it's yeah. going to have it's going to have rubber cushions in the spinal cord, so you could pull it and shorten it. <laughs> that's what happened in my life. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so we never we never actually met. I remember people ask the genesis of the podcast, and I say, uh, and you guys correct me if if I'm wrong. We just commented on a Facebook page thing, and all three of us together, and somebody underneath the three of us commenting said, "Why don't you three do a?" A podcast together. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Durio. Yeah. I yeah. think is how you say it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. Jeff, thank you for all your love and support. Seriously. Jeff uh, is full of good ideas. He's he started a lot of really good stuff. Um, yeah. So he just kind of happened to mention it, and we all kind of were like, hey, 
yeah, I'll do it if you'll do it, and you'll do it if you'll do it. And so. <laughs> and I was at a uh, I was at a Hooters in Nashville when you guys <laughs> actually I was in Knoxville, Tennessee at a Hooters. On a, we got there, Taylor and I were driving through the country, and just as we were talking in the car about our very first podcast, and that's when I sat down and wrote out some of the names. So there's that oh, picture yeah. somewhere on Instagram. There is, and yeah. You yeah. said you said save that picture in case it becomes famous for the reason <laughs> that we get successful. Yeah, we'll have to put a picture of that that uh, napkin in the show notes. <laughs> I want to I want to make a real quick apology to Jeff. So about four or five weeks ago, I went through and I cleaned up all my personal Facebook friends. I had like 800 Facebook friends, and then I decided I want to I want to make my personal Facebook just family and, and people I actually know. So I deleted everybody and what got it down to 200 and jeff was one of those people that i deleted and he he's sent me some some messages like hey what's what's going on why aren't we friends anymore and so i've i've since refriended him and uh we're 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 buddies again and jeff is the reason for the show so i want to i want to thank him for being awesome yes jeff is awesome all right so uh let's keep going what is one tool or skill that you don't have now that you uh, that you want. Mm-hmm. Easy, easy. Okay. Two of them, welding and electronics. And mm-hmm. I can learn each one of those skills from both of you. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. Huh. Um, I, I definitely need to learn electronics and Arduinos and stuff. I kind of dipped my foot in the water a couple of years ago, but I kind of lost track. And uh, I definitely am very ambitious to learn how to tool leather. And some of my fans have uh, shown me cool pictures. And I, in fact, uh, a fan of mine is going to send me a wallet he made. And as soon as he does, I'll Instagram and publish it. Nice. Um, but tooling leather is something that I've always wanted to do. And I just need to focus and get to it. Yeah, I think just metalwork in general. You know, I mean, it's I, I've done a little bit, but it's all been like very specific. You know, I have to fix this one thing. So I have to learn what I need for that one thing. But I would like to just have a, you know, just kind of a, a mastery of something like that that I just don't have any experience with. So, yeah. Always keep learning. Always keep learning. Yeah. So uh, next one here from Urza Rage on Twitter. I think that's I said it right. I don't know. I might not. Uh, when making something simple, everyday, practical, how do you drive satisfaction from the task? For example, um, you know, adding techniques or freestyling or making it more technical. I was thinking about that one because uh, I've gotten to read all these and the other guys haven't. But I uh, I actually, the practical things I think feel the most satisfying to me because I know that they have a purpose and I know that the only reason I'm making them is because they're going to be used or they're going to be you know given or something like that. Um, but I mean, I understand the question, like how do you make it more interesting? So what do you guys do to, to make practical stuff more interesting? Uh, I, I just keep playing around with it. Honestly, I, I play around with it and, uh, sometimes I walk away from it when it's boring me and then I come back to it. I, I just made this dartboard, which I published on the weekend. And, um, I, I told David, I mentioned to you before we get started, I interest, I was actually seeing, seeing out the, the, the whole entire thing with, with no plans of carving it. But when I stood back and I looked at it, I'm like, it looks like it wants to be carved. <laughs> and mm. so I just had to do it. You know, I just go with my instincts, uh, but they don't always, it's not always there. It, it kind of unfolds as I develop my, my project, whatever it is. I think a lot of times the, the motivating factor for me is showing off the end result. I mean, we all, all three of us, 
I mean, most of the listeners probably just like making things. So just that whole process is interesting. I'm always, it's not like I'm making the same thing week after week. It's usually I'm doing something completely different and that keeps it very interesting for me. And I just can't wait to finish that show that off to family, friends, followers and whatever, and then move on to the next project. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one's from John Plumstead on Twitter. And <laughs> I thought this was funny. What tools would you buy from Harbor Freight? What tools does quality matter very little? And I think that's a really good one. You guys have an opinion on that? I do. Uh, go ahead. Um, my dust collector from Harbor Freight is fantastic. My disc sander from Harbor Freight is fantastic. And my spindle sander is fantastic, as, long, as well as a few F-clamps. Um, I, I've had many of these things for over two years works flawlessly. Yeah, I I, I like Harbor Freight stuff. I, every time I go to Harbor Freight, I leave spending about a thousand dollars. I kind of I get. <laughs> what I get are you buying there? That's the whole store. <laughs> Seriously, I just buy so much crap. I don't need. <laughs> I and you don't see that much of it because, like, I'm like, oh, I could use this upstate. So a lot of my stuff is upstate. Um, and that being said, I've only spent a thousand dollars in Harbor Freight twice in the last couple of years because I don't get to go there that much. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, twice, maybe three times in the last ten years. I mean, I don't, I don't get to go there that much just because I know if I go in there, I'm going to leave with a truck full of stuff. Um, but how much does quality matter? It, I had this conversation, a sort of argumentative conversation with somebody on one of my videos where I, I talk about Dewalt, and the guy goes, "Are you really endorsing Dewalt?" And I said, "Not really." I said, "You know, they paid me to do this video, but it doesn't matter what tool you use if it spins, cuts, reciprocates, hammers, chisels." Uh, you look at the beautiful mansions that they made hundreds of years ago. You know, these like I went into a Vanderbilt mansion on Long Island. It was built, whatever, a hundred years ago. The joints are perfectly tight. They didn't mm-hmm. have a Home Depot then. Whatever saw they used, the guy hand sharpened. Whatever yeah. chisel he used, the mm-hmm. guy sharpened on a whetstone. So it doesn't matter. I think it's just it's the intention is the most important part of a, a creator's toolbox. Yeah, the tool is nef- definitely not going to make you for sure. Um, I, I, I think it. As far as Harbor Freight, if if there's anything that says, you know, you should or shouldn't, I think it would be, you know, like how much do you rely on that tool? When you go with a, a cheap tool, it's going to probably do the job. It may not do the job if you use it five hours a day, five days a week for 10 years. You know what I mean? So if that's something that you're going to do a whole lot of, it may make sense for you to invest your money into something that you know is going to last as much as you're going to use it. But I'm, I'm the same way as you, David. Like I, I've bought so much stuff from them, and I've never had a tool go bad. Not saying it couldn't, but I don't think it would go bad any more than something from Home Depot would. Yeah. I have know? had a couple things go bad. I had a couple bad experiences, but 98% of the time, it's perfectly, perfectly fine. There's, I think a lot of times the difference in between a really cheap tool and a really expensive tool is there might be like a a feature or something that's not 100 it's not really necessary but maybe makes the job a little bit more enjoyable and it's really you, you should buy what you need to make the task fun for you you know it's like hand planes there are there are 50 dollar hand planes and then you can get that same hand plane from a boutique maker for 500 dollars it's 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 how you want to enjoy that that process. If if it, if a cheap tool gets the job done, use the cheap tool. If you if if that more expensive tool has a feature that just makes it more fun, then then get that. You know. Did you happen to see my three hundred and twenty five dollar Lee Nielsen 
hand plane and I did. Oh, I did. I did. Yes. <laughs> you know why I bought that? Why? Because I was at a Lee Nielsen show in Brooklyn and I had like $500 in my pocket and I knew I should either buy that or spend all that money in my pocket on food and this, <laughs> that, the other thing. And <laughs> So I decided. Okay, that's a perfect example. You, you could get a Wood River plane from Woodcraft for um, 25% of that cost and it'll probably do the job just fine. That steel yeah. that they use in the blade is not as high quality. Um, like Lee, Lee Nielsen uses like whatever, A2 steel that blade will stay sharper so it's it's there's a compromise and but they both do the same thing they both can do the job well yeah well okay so the next talking about sharpening and you mentioned something about like you know chisels and stuff earlier uh the next one from pond storms on twitter was asking i need a sharpening system for chisels but i don't know what option is best machine stones water oil guides help and personally i have zero experience there so i know nothing about that in my chisel restoration video i use the mk2 sharpening system from veritas and i know there's there's some a couple of the uh, the subscribers mentioned that there's a different version of the same system i think it's cheaper but me personally i've always had problems sharpening stones leading up to a few years ago when actually nick offerman introduced me to that system that he had been using and we when we met the boat maker out in uh in canada he had it and that's when nick showed it to me and I've been using it ever since, and my razor blades, my chisels and planes are all sharp as razor blades. It's perfect because it keeps the bevel you want, and you, you basically kind of just you just readjust the micro bevel. Whetstones, I don't know. That's for guys that you know. That's for chisel nerds. Whetstones. I, I using that system is perfect. You could take any dead chisel and bring it back to life. I, I highly recommend it. It's mm. it, once you read the instructions, you can't do it wrong. There are some people who really enjoy the sharpening process. You know, those are the same people who love sanding things. You know, they just it's it's a it's a it's a quiet time in their shop. Jimmy's laughing. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a quiet time for them, and maybe a time for them to think while they're doing something kind of repetitive. I yeah. hate sharpening. Yeah, you got a and lot I, to think about. Yeah, <laughs> and I hate the whole wet system, which is what I used up until about two weeks ago. It's just a messy process, and so recently I got. Um, the Workshop 3000 or whatever it's called. It's a machine and it works just fine and it's real quick. It's not messy and it gets the tools sharp enough for me to to work. So, Just a, a quick note on the, the system that I use in my chisel restoration video. Uh, a, a genius thing is that the plates are four millimeters thick when you're, you're doing your initial, let's say you, you set a 25 degree bevel. My initial plate is four inch, uh, sorry, when you set the bevel at 25 and you're using a four millimeter plate, it puts the bevel on the chisel. But then when you want to do your micro bevel with the, with the higher, finer grade, the plate, you change the plate that I play, changed in the video and you put it to a three millimeter plate. So the bevel goes down just a little bit and that's how you get your micro bevel. So I thought that was genius that two of those plates are thick and two of them are thin. The mm. ones that I changed like records on the top of that sanding thing. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's the way that system works. And uh, you know, you go down through the grits and as you get down to the finer grits, the plate gets thinner. It makes the bevel it, sharper. I, I know this is supposed to be this rapid fire thing, but I always have a final thought that I always want to add. <laughs> I think um, what makes sharpening easier for everybody is to have a dedicated sharpening station, whether you're using machines or whetstones or, or whatever. If you always have a place that you can go, that's always set up. It really takes out the, uh, um, 
you know, the, oh crap, I got to stop doing what I'm doing to go sharpen this. You can just go do it. And then two minutes year later, you're back to your project. So have a dedicated sharpening station. I think that, you know, that's a shop thing in general. The more things that you have to get out to accomplish any task, the less likely you are to do that task. And um, it's kind of a, I've heard this like first order of retrieval idea where like you, you don't make your shelves any deeper than what you can see so that you don't have to move things to get to things. And that idea is that, you know, everything is in, in one motion. Like you can get to everything immediately when you need it and you don't have to go look for stuff and that makes you more productive. And I think it's the same as far as like having a sharpening station set up or having, you know, I mean, like for me personally, I have my disc sander and a couple, like my small little uh, joiner and all that stuff is under a table. And so when I have to use those, I have to go, oh, okay, I got to get down there, move everything out of the way, pull them up, put them on the table, use them, clean up, put it back under the table, you know. And so I'm less likely to get that stuff out. And I look for shortcuts, which don't always work as well as the tool that I should have used in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that's a general shop thing, I think. Yeah. Um, So there's another one here from Eric Hiles on Twitter, looking to buy a radial arm saw or table saw. What are your thoughts? Personally, I would say... The table saw would would win there every time, if if it's yes. between those two. I mean, I think radial arm saw has a place. Um, I mean, I grew up using my dad's, and I don't remember him having a table saw for a long time. But if I were to pick one of those two, I'd go for table saw. What about you guys? I haven't used a radial arm saw since high school, and that was twenty years ago. Um, from what I understand, it's a lot harder to set up and to be accurate than a table saw, and Pretty much the table saw can do everything the radio arm saw can. The, the great thing about radio arm saw is you can do dados and stuff pretty quickly. Um, but it's it's a it's an outdated tool compared to modern table saws. Jimmy? I agree 100%. I mean, I grew up using a radial arm saw even up just to a few years ago. Um, I guess it was around 2009 when I started using a, a cross-cut sled. And then I realized, wow, this makes my life so easy. And so I never use my radial arm saw again. And uh, I just had this conversation. I don't think it was public conversation, but I had a conversation with a, a friend the other day and uh, talking about safety. And I, I mentioned that the radial arm saw is probably the, the most dangerous tool in the shop. Uh, just because if that thing just starts to wander on its own and you're not prepared, you know, if that motor starts sliding on its own or if, you know, what happens a lot of times is the blade will ride. And if the blade rides up and over something, you know, mm. watch out. So uh, radial arm saw is definitely sort of, it's a slightly antiquated tool. Although it is good. I mean, I, I once I get my big shop built one of these days, one of the tools I do want is like a big 12-inch old like lumberyard DeWalt, which I'll get like Frank Hallworth has. Oh yeah. Well, he has a couple. And, that, and that's one of the cool things is to like watch him, you know, cause he has them set up for very specific things and he uses yeah. them just for that thing. So yeah. that makes sense, but you got to yeah. have a shop like Frank's to, <laughs> to do that. Um, so this one's from tuba man 76 on Twitter. And this one's mainly for me as, uh, how do you find time for your, he said it was mainly for me. I didn't make that up. How do you, <laughs> how do you find time for your projects with a job and a family? I'm a full-time teacher and a full-time husband and father help. Um, that's a really good question. I, and I, I, people ask me that weekly. Um, I, I think, I think I've said this before that I just am really intentional about how I spend my time and I plan a lot and I, um, you know, I have, 
I think a lot of people have a lot of interests that are spread out and they, they put a little bit of time into a lot of things. And I, a few years ago, went down the path of I'm going to pick a couple of things and devote all of my time to those things. So I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm not into sports, anything like that. I spend all those extra hobby hours uh, focusing on my family and on doing, I like to make stuff. And since I have fewer venues, it, it seems like I have a lot to do from the outside, I guess. Um, but it's really my job, my family, and I like to make stuff. That's it. And so with that kind of limited scope there, I'm just almost free to dedicate, uh, you know, to pre-plan and dedicate time to those things, like where I think they are valued, like in the priority that they need to be. So I don't know if that's really a good answer, but... um, I think what helps is if you schedule time, Yes. So schedule time with your family and then also schedule time to do that thing that you want to do. That's a hobby. So then you have that family time and then your family knows, okay, dad or mom is going to be in the shop from this amount of time. And they, in most cases, will let you do your thing, you know? So it's, it's all about scheduling and let everybody in your family know what's going on. Yeah. I, it was interesting. My wife and I had a conversation kind of about this this past week and she was asking me, you know, when is your, in the day, when is your most productive time? When do you get the most done in your shop or in your, you know, at the computer or whatever? And I thought about it for a minute and it was, it was the hour and a half or so between when my kids go to bed, once they're in bed and before my wife gets home from roller derby practice. Hmm. And I, the only reason I figured that out is because, or why I think that's the most productive for me is because it's a period of time where I don't feel guilty about not working on my job. I don't feel guilty about not being with my kids and I don't feel guilty about not being with my wife. I'm totally free in that time to be fully invested in what I am, you know, what I'm doing. And you're totally right, David, that you know, if you say this time, these hours are for my family and I'm going to be 100% present with them in that time, then it's a lot easier to say I'm going to be 100% present in the shop for this hour or or you know, whatever the case is. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I agree too. It's good. All right. Um, here's another one from Ar- Fox. I don't know. Um, Fox, I guess is his name. So, Hey guys, what suggestions do you have to give a maker with limited space, such as a dorm, no room for a proper shop? Hmm. Uh, find a maker space. I mean, I know it's an easy suggestion, but I, I, I let a lot of stragglers hang around my shop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they come and they say, hey, can I, do you mind if I make something? And I just go, all right, go ahead, make something. They go, can I give you money? I said, you know, we'll make a trade or whatever. But um, from time to time, I, I've actually made a couple of really close friends that way. They just show up and say, you know, they meet me through friends and say, hey, can I use your table saw for a few minutes? I'll buy you a new blade or whatever. You know, that. so that's just my suggestion. There is a book coming out from Vic Teslon from Lee Valley Veritas uh, out in Canada. And he has, and uh, his website is called the, the minimalist woodworker. And he has a book coming out. It's all about small shops and working in apartments or working in a really small spaces. And this is sort of a plug because he has a book coming out on the same publisher as me, Springhouse press. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's there's a lot of people with the same problem as you is I don't know how to do this in, where, where I live. So uh, you can use a lot of hand tools like 
hand power tools if you want, like a like a hand power jigsaw and a drill. You can do a lot with those two things and a circular saw. There's just a circular saw is a table saw without the table, you know. So you can you can get by with these things. You can do this out in your driveway. You can do this out in the parking lot if you can find an extension cord long enough. Before I moved into the house that I'm at now, I had what was called a mud room where I had, there was just enough room for a table saw and a router. I actually had a bandsaw in my laundry room. So uh, the, in, in like the utility room. So whenever I cut in the bandsaw, just dust went everywhere in the house. Uh, I'd actually sand in the living room. I was renting this place. So you can, but that's how I got started in woodworking. Don't let your limited space stop you from making you can always find things a way around that and jimmy's suggestion of finding a maker space is 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 great yeah i think that's probably your best bet because they're popping up all over the place and even like you said you're in a dorm uh so if you're you know the college you go to probably has some sort of uh shop somewhere you know it may not be obvious but i bet there's one in some department somewhere so find somebody who's majoring in that stuff and get to be friends with them or take one class take one take one sort of shop class and never leave never leave yeah. <laughs> yeah. there you go art art students do that all the time so. oh yeah that's i mean i went to art school that's what i know uh, several people that still teach at the school and they're like you know anytime you need to use this giant machine that you don't already have call me and we'll come and use it like i can't actually use it but he can use it so yep. i'll take advantage of that one of these days all right so got another one from john um, suddenly there are two new furniture building shows framed in Ellen's design challenge. Have you seen them? Opinions. We've talked a little bit about framed, I think. Framework. Fr- fr- uh, yeah, framework. You said framed. So framework and then Ellen's design challenge. Mm-hmm. I have not seen either one of them. I watched uh, a little bit. I watched them a little bit. Kelly and I have been watching them both. Um, we actually like them both. The first episode of framework is really stressful to watch because it's like intense music the entire time and it's the whole like hell's kitchen type vibe to it where everything is just crazy intense and everybody's gonna get thrown off the island or whatever um but you get to actually see people make stuff and it's fun to see the design process the ellen ellen show we've also been watching that too it's also very good it's kind of a different take it's a little bit more light uh, as far as just the overall feel. It's not so super crazy intense, but I love seeing people make furniture. So we're having fun watching them. That's, so that's interesting. Framework has gotten better because I know you didn't, you weren't crazy about it at first. Was not crazy about it at first. I think I need to go back and maybe rewatch the first episode, but like the music throughout the entire show was just like this intense gun, 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 gun. <laughs> and the whole time you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh. And, and I, I think it's, since lightened up my neighbor is actually still a contestant on framework so i'm like rooting for her we we want her oh, to win cool. so bad yeah um, that's the girl you, that was on your episode yeah yeah lacy lacy campbell and she's awesome like every time she designs something the judges just love her design um but it's fun you get to see furniture making and the design process on tv which is not something you normally get to see I I haven't seen Ellen's show yet, but I'll show you guys a little like inside secret. It wasn't even a secret because nothing ever came of it. But there's an agent here in New York who uh, he's not my agent. I don't actually have an agent, but he knows me and he calls me from time to time and asks me, "Hey, can I put you up for this?" And you know, if I get the job, he gets a piece of the action. So I say, "Put me up for whatever." You know, I'll just say no if I don't want to do it. 
but he put me up for the Ellen show and uh, I never heard anything. So I didn't oh, get man. it obviously. Yeah. But, um, which is, which is all good and well. Cause in hindsight, after watching framed, I, uh, I, I just, one thing I can't stand is when these competition shows, I kind of, t- I also told this particular agent, I was like, I, I do not ever want to be involved in a competition show. So don't even waste time putting me in the, in the mix. And, uh, the Ellen show, I would have been one of the consultants or one of the assistants. I'm not sure. He just, I said, whatever, you know, whatever. But, um, I, I can't stand seeing these people humiliated. You know, they, they get defeated because any one of these artists in their own right, obviously mm. have a quality level that got them there. And then when you're highlighted to be either defeated or, you know, made to look good, it's very, very arbitrary. You know, people could have a good day, a bad day. And, and these competition shows just humiliate people. And, you know, they, they want the drama of the person leaving with the tail between their legs. And it's just humiliating and it's, uh, it's exploitative and I don't like it. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've never thought about that, but you're right. Those people, if they were the only person on the show, it would be probably a fantastic show because it would show off their skill. But it's really the thing that is bad about that type of situation is that you're comparing two people, two good people, and you're yep. trying to find like the fault in one of the good people. That's weird, huh? And then you know, like I watched it a couple of times, and I, I'm not going to lie, I was entertained. But when you see Common sitting there going, "I'm the everyday person, and you got to make me pleased," I'm like, "Give me a break." <laughs> <laughs> Every one of these people are artists in their own right. And then those, the, the two judges, the one guy looks angry all the time. Like, what has he got to be angry about? He's on a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting to show his artwork off. Yeah. Yeah. He just has a furrowed brow the entire time. Like, like is, he, is he there by court order? I mean, he just looks like he's upset the whole time. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. So here's another one from run 98 W on Twitter. <laughs> Do you ever have problems with your fingerprint scanner on your phone because of sawdust on your thumbs or cuts on your prints? <laughs> and that's funny that he asked that because I've had that. Like, I I don't know. Like, I, it seems to be with glue <laughs> is when I'll get glue on my thumbs. I don't use the uh, the fingerprint scanner or a passcode to my phone. So if I lose my phone, you can you get all my stuff. <laughs> Basically, you're going to get pictures of my dog. <laughs> In my world, no passwords, no keys, no nothing. Yeah. You could have it all. I don't care. You could have everything you want. Just let me have the computer when I need to send an email. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I'm the only one there to answer your question. <laughs> what are you protecting, yes. Bob? What's 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 in your photos or what's in your Dropbox that you're protecting? I have kids. You guys don't have kids. My kids pick up my phone and decide to start pushing buttons. And okay. it's mainly, that's a good point. It's yep. mainly I, that. Yep. Yeah. I must say I have a passcode on my phone now only because I set up my new iPhone 6 that way in the store. So I had to pick a code and I haven't turned it off yet. Um, but it is the first iPhone I've had and you know, since the very first one that had a password on it. So, And I've just gotten comfortable leaving it on there. Doesn't, you know, but in typical, typically I hate passwords. And the thumb thing, Taylor set up her iPhone 6 with the thumb thing and she picked my phone up before and she was trying to turn it on with the thumb thing. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> she goes, oh, this isn't my phone. So it was funny. Need your thumbs. <laughs> this was interesting. This is from Sam. Um, I'm planning a woodworking programming at, at program at an old folks home. What do you suggest we do? I was thinking glue ups and painting. Hmm. Do you guys have any ideas for that? I mean, David, that kind of sounds like, you know, with the crafting stuff that you're... Yeah. Or in tune with that sounds like you might have some. My grandfather, who is eighty three, going to be eighty four in July. 
he does woodworking in his garage. He makes a lot of birdhouses and butterfly houses. I, I, I think he's on the right track. It's, you know, the glue ups and, and, and painting. So, you know what, what it, it, I don't typically teach wood in my, in my class because students immediately want to make bevel cuts and they want to do all these compound dangerous cuts and, uh, they don't have, have the experience. And so my class isn't about wood, so I kind of avoid it. But um, one simple way, and I know this is going to sound silly, and I don't mean it in a silly way at all, is if if you have a giant bag of ice cream sticks in front of you and glue, and you have, you know, it immediately unlocks the creative juices. It's like Lego, and you can make like a permanent thing. So I always say, uh, look for pixels. Like, mm. imagine an ice cream stick is a pixel. And you're using that pixel to make something bigger. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you present it in the right way, it becomes, you know, it doesn't look like, oh, this is something for a kid. It's because it's really not. I mean, you could also buy from a craft shop little cubes or bags of wood blocks or something like that. You know, again, think of something that's a pixel, you know, in quotes, that people could put together and make bigger things. Hmm. Yeah. It's- On that first day of this this class, you could say hey what do you guys want to make and get some feedback and kind of combine and 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 see what you can do from there yeah i think it'd be interesting to talk to you know whoever's in charge of like where you're going to do it um and find out like what the limitations are because that's probably going to have a lot to do with the limitations maybe of the people involved in the class but also the space and you know you know what what your boundaries are there that'll probably dictate a lot of what you can do there um so let's see. There was one here about any dream projects you guys want to tackle. All right. I got a question here from Family of Makers. It said, uh, if you're given $1,000 with the instructions to drop everything for the week and complete one project, what would it be? So that's similar to like a dream project. And oh, yeah. I would need yeah. a lot more than $1,000 if I was going to drop a whole week. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's expand that a little bit. So what if somebody gave you a week's worth of money? Right. Mm. With no, no, you know, you can do whatever you want to, but you have to do something with this money. That Brewster's Millions kind of style. You have to spend this <laughs> yeah. money in a week and you have to I make would make something. a video. Honestly, I mean, I'd be, the most rewarding uh, projects I've been doing lately are videos. And, and I would, uh, if I had a full week to make a video, like for instance, I just made this Greek temple for Spike as a little cat house. I made that within a couple of hours. And if I had a full week to make that, I would have went crazy with the detail. So if, uh, if I had a week to make anything, I would make a really in-depth movie. We need a built-in for our dining room area. We want to remove the table and do a, a built-in bench and, and storage inside that bench and then a table to go with that. And I, too, would like to make a video, but I wouldn't want to do a how-to video. I would just do a Jimmy Diresta-style overview fast speed video. You know, David, well, no, you don't do fast. I know, anymore. I know, I know. Um, the thing is, um, I, as far as like that type of thing, like cabinetry, I am not an expert at that. So there'd be this, there, there'd be a list learning process for me building this built-in because we all know houses aren't square, and you know walls aren't parallel and perpendicular perpendicular to each other. So. I'm definitely going to run into issues when I do finally build this built-in. So, yeah, I think that there's a dealing with those little things is like one of the the most beneficial thing for somebody watching, though. You know, like dealing because you're right, nobody's house is square. So people seeing you 
figure out how to deal with that stuff is probably more beneficial than you showing how to make a cabinet door or something. Probably me showing how to hide my mistakes or the mistakes of the home builder. That's what that's all we do is hide <laughs> our mistakes. That's what it's all about. <laughs> um, no, so I have a little a little quote when you do get to that built-in and the walls are cockeyed and everything. Yeah. If it looks straight, it is straight. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember that. Don't, there you go. Don't get so what I'm saying, what I'm hearing is don't get caught up and everything being perfect. If it looks straight, <laughs> what's the rest of the sentence? <laughs> it is straight. It is straight. <laughs> Good advice. Maybe, maybe we'll name the episode that. <laughs> <laughs> Good All advice. right. So I got like one more here um, on my list. Well, I mean, I have a few more, but one more that I think we could actually answer. Um, so Dave Stender, it was a really long question, but basically he's, he's saying that. Um, a lot of our videos are customer projects um, where you know we get an idea from a customer we're making something specific for them. But have we ever declined a project uh, that a customer asked to build or taken it in a totally different way? And I feel like, Jimmy, I think, I think you've talked about this before, about where you didn't want to do what the client was asking, so you came up with a better idea and convinced them of an mm-hmm. alternative. Do you have any? Oh yeah, I, yeah. Some, I, I can't think of a specific example uh, right here on the spot, but I certainly have been offered jobs that were just really bad concepts. And I was like, well, I, I, the first question I often ask is, what is the goal? Is the goal to keep all your books on that wall? Okay, then let's try and figure out a way to get to that goal. It doesn't necessarily have to be this one that you've chosen. And so that's typically the question I always say: What is the goal? And the goal is to organize the kitchen or to organize the closet and let's look at some reference and try and figure out a good solution to that. Um, but a lot of my clients, uh, you know, in the interior design business seem to know what they want right away. And, and I kind of just facilitate that. But when it comes to the marketing and stuff, that's when they always actually ask me my opinion because they want something cool and sexy and fun. And, you know, they, they trust me. I, I personally don't build woodworking projects for clients. I build things and then sell them. Uh, but I come from the ad world where we used to build websites and brochures and trade show materials. And a lot of times the client comes to you – and so I'm speaking from that world. A lot of time the client comes to you with an idea and then you're like, that's not going to work. But you came to us because we are the experts in this field. So here is a new idea. What do you think of this? And then they give you your feedback and then you kind of work on the project with their feedback, still making it think it's their idea, but you kind of planted that idea into their head. And then you can – it's it's all about doing what's best for that client, right? And sometimes they don't know what's best for them until you give them that idea. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, did you have any other questions that you saw come in? Somebody asked me if me or you guys or my brother are Freemasons. No, that's nope, a nope. world I know nothing about. It's a very mysterious I am not a Freemason. World. Yeah. <laughs> I did grow up. My dad was uh, in the Knights of Columbus, which is sort of like the junior brother to the Freemasons. Um, I don't know if I just offended 60 million people. <laughs> <laughs> the Knights of Columbus, I know, has some similar situations. But I'm not in the Knights of Columbus. I'm only in the Knights of Columbus Credit Union. 
So don't worry, we don't we don't reach sixty million people. So you couldn't have possibly <laughs> offended that many people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yet. And somebody said, uh, "Why not make things to sell to the fans?" He said it in a different way, but I don't want to write what he wrote because I'm not quite sure I understand it. But basically, why don't I sell things to the fans? Um, I just uh, through a friend of mine through uh, through Make Affair, who has a the ability to create an online store and also the ability to um, facilitate the packing and shipping of products. This just happened in the last couple of days. I'm starting a small online store, which will be pens and pencils and hats and shirts and hoodies and stuff. Oh, and nice. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, he's going to basically handle the burden, thankfully. And uh, you know, together we're going to – it's his company that does that. You know, so he, he said, whatever you want to do, let's figure it out. And uh, so we're going to start slowly with um, pencils and shirts and hoodies and hats and so and stickers and you know all the stuff that you guys provide i'm going to try and provide as well um but they will do the fulfillment from a location somewhere in new york state so we'll see how that goes uh but as far as me selling things out of my shop it's it's a it's it's a little difficult because it's kind of a slippery slope i mean i make my money from big client jobs um a lot of times if people come to my shop and they're like, make me this and make me that, I'll just like give them something. I'm like, here, take this. You know, I'm not going to ask somebody for $50. You know, it's, it's just, I'd rather, you know, give the goodwill and make my money from my rich clients. So when it comes to selling small things like that, it's, it's difficult for me to kind of put a number on things. So that's why I, I kind of just mostly give stuff away. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, uh, that's about all the questions we have that I, that I had on here. So unless you guys have anything else, we'll probably go ahead and wrap up uh, for this episode. I wanted to thank, well, okay, this is huge. I wanted to thank everybody on Patreon because as of this episode, we're going to start going weekly. Yes. Weekly. And that's awesome. So thank you guys for helping us get to that point. Um, That's really cool. And I wanted to say special thanks to Nicholas Gomez. He's like our top patron. Awesome guy. And uh, he's always been really supportive. So we really appreciate him. And we'll have a bunch of other people in the show notes who have also supported at different levels. And we're really appreciative to all them as well. So if you guys want to help us out, continue to grow this thing, uh, go to patreon.com slash making it. And we are set up a bunch of new rewards there. So if you support us, you can get an exclusive making it t-shirt. You can also pick from some of our individual stuff. You know, now Jimmy's going to have um, some other stuff, shirts and hats and all that stuff to add there too. So you can pick like my shirt, David's shirts, Jimmy's shirt, whatever. Um, and there's a bunch of other stuff on there just for ways for us to say thank you. Jimmy hats. <laughs> and that. Yep. In all sizes. So, uh, so yeah, go check us out. Uh, Patreon.com slash making it. Thank you. And uh, where can we find out more about everybody, David? You can find me on drunkenwoodworker.com that has my blog, my videos, my, all my social medias, and everything that I do. Jimmy? Uh, go to my YouTube channel. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, everything I got is at iliketomakestuff.com. And same, all the social stuff you can get to from there. So, yeah, that's about it for this week. Thanks for all the questions, everybody, that sent them in. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you not in two weeks but next week. Next week. Thanks, guys. (gasps) Thank you. Farewell.